Our scripture for today is John 4, verse 46 through 54. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour that when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Opal. Uh, we are now back in the book of John. So we've been in the book of John for many weeks, and we are back in it again. And I just feel like, and I felt this way when we went through the book of Ephesians, felt this way when we went through the book of Daniel, when we went, went through the book of First Thessalonians, that it's like this was the time and this was the book that we are supposed to be in. And we are in a monster of a book, and I mean that in the best of ways. And it just feels like a treasure almost handwritten for our church at this moment. And part of, I think, what we need to be intentional about is the book of John is not just a bunch of random sayings. That it's like, what was said last week doesn't matter. What was said the week before doesn't matter. It's like, no, our God in his infinite wisdom and his artistic ability, his ability to rhetoric, um, all of the abilities in moving in John to write this incredible opus of the life of Jesus, it's all on purpose. Even what comes after this section is this section is all very intentional for our walk with Jesus. John even tells us, I'm writing this so that you will believe. He's not saying, I'm writing a historical account so that the record would be straight. But no, he, I'm writing this so that you will believe. And in believing, you'll have life in his name. And the, the story is told, as I was chewing on this this week, uh, the story, maybe you've heard this story, but the story is told of a person walking up to three brick layers. So three dudes that are laying bricks right shoulder to shoulder to shoulder, and he goes up and asks the first guy, like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, I'm laying bricks. <laughs> Captain obvious, right? Um, then, then goes to the second guy, hey, what are you doing? He's like, I'm building a wall. First guy's laying bricks. They're, they're doing the same thing. First guy, I'm laying bricks. Second guy, I'm building a wall. The third guy, hey, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral. It's going to be amazing. All three guys are doing the exact same thing. The first guy, when he looks, he just sees bricks when he looks in front of him. All that he can see is bricks. The second guy at least knows that he's doing something for a reason. The third guy, though, what I love is he's doing the same amount of work, but the third guy has the clarity and the vision of what he's a part of. 
and what he's swept up into. He's not a bricklayer. He's a cathedral builder doing the same thing. And I feel like in John chapter 4, like there's a tendency for us to just see each of these passages as bricks and just be like, well, I guess we're going to hear something else about Jesus today. But to realize that each section is not an isolated brick off on its own, but each section is a part of our walk with God and not looking at a bricklayer view, but to see that every week that we're together, it, it's all connected as Jesus is building this beautiful cathedral, as Jesus is building us together as his church, as Jesus is drawing people to himself and then sending us on mission together. And uh, you know, even as we've seen this, like John chapter 1, who is Jesus? And it's like he is the creator. Nothing has been made that was not made by him. John chapter 1. So we see, we see Jesus lift up. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, then he goes to a wedding. And he's with just people being married, uh, get, getting married. And he turns water into wine. And, and just there's so much power. And if you haven't been with us through all the book of John, uh, we have podcasts. We have a website, sacredmission.church, the sermons area, where you, you can uh, get back into that and just see how this is all uh, coming together. Then in chapter 3, he talks to the most religious guy on planet Earth literally on the ground, Nicodemus, and is trying to convince Nicodemus that you must believe to have eternal life. And Nicodemus struggles to understand it. And then from there, he goes to the outcast of all outcasts, a Samaritan woman at the well, and she totally gets what he's talking about. And she is radically changed. So we have, we have Jesus approaching religious people. We have Jesus re- approaching outcasts. And then in John chapter 4, he continues to construct section by section, building his majestic church um, in our community. Like this is alive. This is happening right now. These words are written so that we would have life today and build today into his people for his purposes. So we're going to start at at verse 46 of John chapter 4. And and Lord, we just invite you to build us. We invite you to form us into your people. Some that might mean that you are opening our eyes to you for the first time, that we are giving our life to you for the first time. It may mean that you're opening our eyes in fresh ways, maybe for the thousandth time. That, Lord, none of us want to play at church this morning. Life is too important. There's too much on the line. There's too much joy and passion that you are leading us into to just put up walls and play and pretend. Uh, Would you do real work in us as we are in your real word this morning? Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so verse 46. Uh, We'll have these words right here on the screen, but then we've got Bibles over there. Um, Feel free to grab one if you want to underline, circle things, Um, but then also that's yours. Take it home with you. We also have uh, little journals called Scripture Journals where it's just the book of John and every other page is blank, so you can write notes and things like that too. Um, We'll be over there, so feel free to take that to verse 46. So he came again, Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official 
whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. So this is all the same trip. So we've, we've broken this up over a month. But Jesus is in Jerusalem talking to Nicodemus. Then he starts heading north uh, 20, 30 miles, encounters John the Baptist. He keeps heading north into Samaria, encounters the woman at the well. And then now he's kind of back home. And he's coming into the Sea of Galilee area in northern Israel where he had last time he was there in Cana, he had turned water into wine. And now he's back and an official who lives close by in Capernaum, this, uh, this official is likely someone who's connected with royalty. So the, the, the actual word there is a form of king. So it's someone who's around the king, someone who is serving the king, maybe like an employee or a family member of the highest ranking person in Israel. It could be the slave of the highest ranking person in Israel, um, but it's a good chance that this person is not a Jew and not a Samaritan. So we're looking at someone who is culturally very different than anyone that we've encountered up till now. We're looking at someone who is socioeconomically very, very different. So we've gone from Jesus going from the outcast of the outcasts, probably somebody in abject poverty, to now someone who is incredibly well-connected, very wealthy, and just observing that in itself, we see like Jesus knows no boundaries. <laughs> Jesus is equally pursuing the people that you would never associate with, and he's like, oh yeah, I made you, 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 and you. I'm pursuing you, 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 and you. And we see that with three, three stories in a row, he's pursuing three radically, culturally different people. Um, at that time, the word Gentile was what encapsulated that. A Gentile was someone who was not a Jew and not a Samaritan. They were all other. Romans, Greeks, from Germany, from France, from all parts of the Roman Empire. If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. And this is who it seems like Jesus is reaching here. And what's really cool, if we have eyes to see it, is, is that we first had a person who was blinded by their religion, and Jesus met them. Then we have a person who's blinded by their shame, and Jesus meets them. And here, it's very likely that we have someone who's maybe blinded by their wealth, and, and seeming that they have everything that they need in this life, and Jesus is going to meet them too. It seems how this is all written, that this man's son has been sick for a long time. He's been ill for a long time, and in all likelihood, the family has tried everything because he's at the point of death now. He's been ill for a long time, and now he's at the point of death. I don't think they were sitting around being like, well, I guess we should get up off the couch and go and try and find help. I think they have been frantically trying everything they could think of, and then they hear Jesus has come back into town, and they're like, well, maybe we should try him. They're not really connected with him, but maybe we should reach out to him as a last-ditch option to see if maybe Jesus could do something about this situation. The official asks Jesus himself. The, the official doesn't just like send somebody. He comes himself to ask Jesus if Jesus would come and heal his son. 
And I think a big point for all of us this morning, it might just seem super obvious, but I think we need to like shine a light on it, is we should be like the official and go to Jesus. I mean, how great it would be if every single person in our community, when things got really hard and they didn't know what to do, they're like, I should seek out Jesus. I should go to Jesus. I'd be like, yes, like if our community did that way, did that, like that would be incredible. <laughs> is, is like, man, I, I don't know what to do. Let's go to Jesus. That's what we should do. Look at verse 48 though. It's so crazy. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. There's some weird stuff happening here. So looking at this sentence, and feel free to keep this sentence up for a little bit. So this was originally written by John in Greek, and there's a lot of like little details, like engineers love Greek because of how detailed it is. And so just the way that the sentence is written, so Jesus said to him, him is singular. In the, like it's a singular form of the word, which makes sense because Jesus is responding to a person, the dad. And so Jesus, respond, Jesus said to him, singular, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Both of those yous is plural. So what's interesting here is in Jesus responding to the dad, he's speaking to the room. And he purposely used forms of words to make sure I'm responding to the dad, but I'm responding to everybody that you brought with you and everybody that's listening right now, all y'all, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And um, as he's speaking to the crowd, Jesus is giving them resistance to their request. And what's crazy is he's done this. The last time he was in Galilee performing a miracle, he pushed back before the miracle. If you remember that, Mary comes up to him and says, Jesus, they're out of wine. And he's like, my time's not come yet. He gave a little pushback. Here, and you could be like, man, this seems weird because the son's life is on the line. There's no time for pushback. And Jesus makes time because he knows he's in control. He's in control of the moment. Nothing is happening outside his control. And so he uses this as an opportunity to push back. And he is questioning, are you looking to me to do tricks? Is our relationship based on me performing some cheap tricks for you? And you might be like, well, saving someone's life doesn't feel like a cheap trick to me. Well, his power is so capable that bringing someone back to the life or healing someone at the point of death is not overextending his capabilities in any way. And what Jesus brings up here, which I think is so fascinating, is what he's concerned about is belief. Look at that. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He might be like, what does belief have to do with anything? I'm asking you to heal my son. He's like, hey, there's something way more important for you to be considering with your life right now, and it is your relationship with me, and do you believe me? And what has been so clear, chapter 3, chapter 4, is people must believe in Jesus as their Savior to have eternal life. If you do not believe Jesus as your Savior, you have eternal death. 
And he is offering everybody eternal life, and he's not hiding, hoping people will discover this. He's being as crystal clear as he could possibly be, even in this moment. And he is not against healing people. He is not against healing people, but what he is against is he's against people coming to him just to look for them to improve their life. Let me say it again, like, what Jesus is against is, hey, I need to go to Jesus for him to improve my life. And he actually wants to rule our life. And he, even in this moment, is saying, hey, what is even more important than me improving your life is ruling your life. Because that is how you were designed. That is how you're designed to flourish. That is how you're designed to have life in me. That is how you are designed to actually be healed and to actually be free, is to look to Jesus, not just to improve your life. And man, I, that's how I, for so long, for years, my prayer was, oh God, I've gotten myself into a real tough place with my sin. And I just, I've really screwed things up. Can you get me out of this? And if you get me out of this, that would be awesome. And I would promise him a bunch of stuff. Like, I'll do this, 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 and this if you get me out of this. And, and then by his grace, he's usually like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, hey, thanks. I'll come back to you when I need you again. And then I would walk away and just and do it all over again. So here's second big point. So the first point was be like the official. Go to Jesus. Second big point is don't be like the official which is an improve my life versus rule my life. And this is Jesus' like warning when we're looking to Jesus for improvement is he is, is warning first. Um, so the official's response to Jesus' pushback is in verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. So they're just in elevation. I think where they're at around the Sea of Galilee is an elevated area. Cana and Capernaum are kind of around the Sea of Galilee in a more lower level. So it makes sense to be like, hey, come, come down, please. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. That's his response. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So the official's response to Jesus' pushback is just, calm down before my child dies. The official is still convinced that if Jesus just shows up, that his son, that Jesus can help him. It's last ditch, Hail Mary pass, but if I come, Jesus, you can help me. And Jesus says four words to him. He says five. He says go. But really, there's four words that Jesus is saying to him. Your son will live. Jesus says four words to him. Your son will live. Remember, the official's like, just come. Come. You got to be there in person. And Jesus says, your son will live. And I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved to hear how Jesus said that. Did he whisper it into his ear? Did he like yell it so much that like you felt the thunder in his voice? Did he just say it like I'm saying it right now? Even his eyes, like did, was he making eye contact with the dad? Um, was he even looking away and saying it so effortlessly? Like did he have tears in his eyes 
as he's talking to the dad. Um, we aren't privy to any of that level of intimacy, but however Jesus said it, how the dad responds is incredible. He has been desperate for someone to do something. You can see the desperation all throughout this text. And then you can see it just dissolve. The desperation just dissolves at the voice of Jesus. The desperation dissolves at those four words, your son will live. Look at this. The man believed, this is the second part of verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So these four words spoken to this man, the man believes in a way that he doesn't even go home. He, he, he is so desperate. Jesus, if you just come right now, I just, I, whatever you just said to me, you just, I just need you to come right now. You got to see my son. Your son will live. And what we'll see in the text, he doesn't even go, go home until the next day. He, like, he has believed Jesus to the point of being like, Oh gosh, I guess while I'm in town, I could, uh, I could get a few things and I could, I could uh, visit a few friends. And he so believed that his son would live that he wouldn't even have to go to check on his son. He believed it at that level. And how Jesus could speak that to someone and have their hearts so radically changed that he went on his way. Because Cana and Capernaum, this bothered me about this text, because what we're going to see is the people come running to him that knew him, that were close to son, and the, he's asking, they're like, yeah, yesterday. And it's like, I, I just, like, I'd look at the map and be like, this is like just a few miles away. I mean, like, is Jesus like crawling? Or is the guy crawling from Cana to Capernaum? Like, why would it take so long for them to go from point A to point B? Like, you could run there if you're in a hurry, and it wouldn't take long. And it's like, he didn't even go home. And it, it dawned on me, it's like, oh gosh, he believed what Jesus told him. And he didn't even feel like he had to go home. It was in the bag. Jesus had got it. And I think if, like, you were walking around Cana, and you saw this official, and you're like, oh gosh, we've all been praying for your son. How is he? And it's like, you didn't hear about today? No, I didn't. Like, what? How is he? And it's like, oh, he'll be totally fine. Be like, what happened? Oh, uh, Jesus told me he's going to be fine. And you've checked on him and he's okay? No, no, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. And for that to be like not a person who like grew up following Jesus, grew up knowing the Old Testament, just someone who had heard four words from Jesus and for it to affect him that deeply. So now look at verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So his servants come find him. Likely due to his position, he had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of employees um, would be kind of the, the likely role that these servants functioned in this relationship at this time in history. They're excited 
to inform him that, this, that his son is okay and is recovering. The official asked when he started feeling better yesterday at the seventh hour. The father knows that this was the exact moment that Jesus uttered those four important words, your son will live. And then fascinatingly, in verse 53, we're told, and he himself believed in all his household. And you might think, wait a second, he already believed. Verse 50 told us he believed. He believed so much he didn't even go home. He did believe when Jesus said, your son will live. But he believed that Jesus was going to improve his life. He believed that Jesus was going to improve his son's life. And now in verse 53, he believes Jesus to rule his life. He's gone from, hey, I believe those four words are true, to, I believe you. I believe you for everything. I, I give my life into your hands to rule my life, to be the center of my life. And this is as real today as it was then. And just the testimonies that we heard. I mean, we're, we're going to see people baptized today that are as exciting as this official being baptized. And if he was up here sharing what had happened. And what is as true then as is now is that when one person comes to Jesus, believes in him in that way, that it is very common that a lot of people around them do the same. And a lot of people around them give their lives to Jesus too because changed lives change lives. And that's just not a pithy statement. Like it's, it's true in Jesus' world is when you're that close to someone and you're like, oh my gosh, like, like the Watt family being like, we knew Ian before and he could not have written any of that stuff. And he didn't like go to some seminar and they taught him how to write some really catchy statement. No, he met the guy. He, he met the man. He met Jesus in a way that the official met Jesus and was changed to the point of he wrote stuff that no one taught him to write other than God taught him to write as he taught him about himself and as the Spirit moved in his life. And the same is true for the Wilkies as well. And um, that one honest moment with Jesus can lead to generations living for Jesus and change the course of entire families with the joy of Jesus at the center of their lives. And so, so this third, would each of us this morning, again, be like the official? So like, be like the official, don't be like the official. Be like the official here in believing Jesus as Lord of your life. And it is humbling, it's exciting that Jesus is on the move in our community. It really is. I mean, there are ministries that the Lord calls people to where you don't see anybody come to Jesus for decades. And you're having a ministry of, of basically hoping that the soil gets softened up so that things would grow in hard soil. And we're able to be seeing people who are giving their lives to Jesus and family stories being totally written, uh, rewritten because Jesus is continuing to flip the expectations upside down that people have of Jesus. So like this official had a view of Jesus and Jesus just flipped it right side up and gave him like a true vision of who he is. And so, so as, 
as we're going to watch baptisms, I just want it to be clear that baptism shows us, shows to everyone that Jesus has saved people in our community in the same way that he saved the official and broke into the official's life and then saw a whole household around him come to Jesus. These were maybe right in the palace of the king. People actually met the true king and were like, oh gosh, <laughs> or he is, he is so much greater and he is so gracious to actually wake us up from what we were following to see uh, that we can actually have life in him. And so, uh, man, we get to see that just like the official, that these three have believed Jesus is the Lord of their lives. They put the full weight of their lives in Jesus's hands and their baptism will be one of the best sermons they ever preach because they are going to be testifying to us the, the power of Jesus to save and, and I just want to encourage you, too, that um, maybe as you see people believing, that you will believe as well. As you see their life being transformed, that you would allow it to transform your life. Um, more than once, uh, I've, I've been able to be in an environment where as people are being baptized, other people are giving their lives to Jesus and just saying, this is so true. I'm all in. Jesus, rule my life. You're, you're my savior. I give my life to you. And so, man, I've been praying this week that that, that would happen today. And then uh, maybe starting today, people would start seeing you be transformed by Jesus and they would give their life to Jesus too. And you're like, I don't deserve to be swept up into this, but Jesus, do what you want. Sweep away. <laughs> Sweep us into what you are doing in our midst. Change lives, change lives. And I think it's important for our kids to be able to see too. So we're going to end our service differently uh, than we usually do, which is that, that we have the baptismal already set up in kids' church, which is kind of intentional so we don't have to bring kids all around. And so what we'll do is um, uh, we're going to appropriately worship Jesus for changing the official's life, uh, then for changing our lives, for changing lives of those being baptized. Uh, but then a lot of times we want to just hang out and talk, which is a gift. That's fellowship. Um, today, I'm going to encourage us not to talk in here. If, if we could all basically, as soon as the worship song is over, just get up and go straight to the kids' church area, and we'll just fan around the baptismal that's already set up there, and then let the kids be front and center. Let the kids all come to be able to see, um, to see lives change, to see the baptism. And then what we'll do is, is right after the baptism, then uh, we'll pray for them, and then we'll come right back in here, and then we'll have the potluck set up, and um, we'll pull the bleachers out, and so we'll eat on the bleachers and try to not, like, destroy the bleachers, <laughs> but we'll, we'll clean them and stuff, but then we'll, we'll bring our kids back in here, and as people are tearing down and everything, we'll just hang out. And, uh, and then if you are giving your life to Jesus, if you have given your life to Jesus, even if you're desiring as you watch people be baptized, to be baptized yourself, like, man, let's talk. Let's pray over each other. Let's thank Jesus for what he's doing. And uh, can I pray for us? Jesus, I thank you that you are alive and well. Thank you that you are moving in our midst. Thank you for the way that you approach the official and the official didn't have to go away to Bible college and learn a thousand things about you. That's a gift to be able to do that. But Lord, you taught the official 
you brought the official to yourself. And Lord, I just pray that every heart in here, every soul is open to your teaching of us, revealing yourself to us. Maybe even right now, letting us know that this is so real. And with the, the, just the clarity that you spoke those four words to the, to the official, maybe you're speaking right now to someone in here saying, yes, this is true. I am here to save you. I invite you to give your life to me. And uh, Lord, would they and be changed and to see others change. Maybe today, entire family would come to you based on one honest moment with you. Lord, for all of us, Lord, here we are. Change us. Transform us. Give us the power even as we, as we sing this song together um, to not just be singing words, but to be worshiping you in your presence. Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.